Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Well, hello again, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. So excited to be on the show today. We have Marco Santorelli. Marco, how you doing? Good, Jason. Great to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, a little bit more about Marco. Marco is an investor, author, and the founder of Narada Real Estate Investments, a national real estate investment firm providing turnkey cash flow investment properties in growth markets nationwide. He's also the host of the Passive Real Estate Investing Show. Marco purchased his first real estate investment at the age of 18, got licensed and sold real estate at the age of 23, and later acquired over 83 units in 2004 and 2005. And today, Marco is a licensed real estate broker who runs successful real estate companies with a focus on helping investors create wealth and passive income through real estate. So Marco, that, that's a ton going on there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And if we were just to look back, why was it that you said, I'm going to start in real estate and take that path? I just knew at a very early age that real estate was something that created wealth. Uh, I later found out it's a great place to store and hold your wealth. But I was a, I was a teenager, probably 15, 16, and I looked around at some of the people in, for me, in my Italian community that drove around in like Ford F-150s, just like in the book, you know, the millionaire, millionaire next door. The way that guy described it was exactly the way I knew my millionaire uh, friends, I guess. I mean, these were older people in their 50s and 60s. But there's a lot of truth to that, not necessarily in the way they created their millions, but the way they uh, um, held themselves. But I looked around. I was just observant as a kid. And I realized that real estate was it. And I heard it from other people and, and I just got thinking about it. Now, I've always been entrepreneurial and I decided, okay, I need to do something. Uh, and for me, it was starting a business and I've always been starting businesses. But to make a long story short, just in looking around, I saw people creating wealth and creating a lifestyle because they owned real estate. So when I turned 18 years old and I was old enough to qualify for financing, that's the time where I decided to pull the trigger and I didn't take courses or go to boot camps or study. I just thought, okay, this can't be that difficult. At least maybe I was naive and, and, and dumb at the time. And I jumped in head first. Um, and a lot of people do do that and make mistakes. But I bought a townhome and I fixed it up. Um, I put a sign out on the lawn. There was no internet back then. So there, there was no advertising over, online. Uh, filled out some applications, did so-called interviews. You know, I say interviews because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But it, ultimately, I leased it to somebody. And uh, it was more or less textbook. And the writing was on the wall at that point. So I guess the long, that's a long story, you know, a long answer to your question. The thing is, is that um, you talk to anybody on the street, and I would be, I'd be shocked if one out of 100 people, um, you know, said that real estate wasn't the best way to create and, and store wealth. A lot of people think about the stock market, but everybody knows that real estate is a great way to create wealth. Why is it that so many people sit in the sideline and just can't get started? You said, you know, I, I just didn't know everything, but I just went forward and did it. What is a reason that someone really should get active now and not wait? And why do you think so many people wait to get started? A lot of people wait. There's, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is fear. You know, they, they, they 
they see it as being something that is very big and beyond themselves and difficult, and they just don't know where to start or who to rely on. So one is fear, and fear is the, probably the worst enemy because it holds people back. But the second reason is actually the solution to the first reason. The second reason is lack of information, lack of knowledge, just basically being ignorant or uneducated. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a derogatory way. I don't mean that in a negative way. Uh, the fact is, is that with books, uh, podcasts, um, you know, different workshops and boot camps that, that are available to you today, there is no excuse to not be out there educating yourself. You could do it virtually free. There's so much free information online today. Um, there's literally hundreds, if not thousands of great websites and blogs that you can read and educate yourself. So that lack of knowledge, the lack of education, um, feeds the fear and, and, and people just don't pull the, pull the trigger and take action because they think they just don't know enough. There's also another problem where people think that people are, there are people who are well-educated and know a lot about investing but then they don't do anything because they're overly analytical and they essentially become their own worst enemy. They, there's that saying, you know, an, uh, paralysis through analysis. Well, they're overly analytical and they constantly feel that they need to continue educating themselves, that they never know enough, that they have to know absolutely everything and turn over every single rock before they move forward in, in an effort to avoid making mistakes. If you get into that rut, you'll never you'll never buy that first or that next property. So that's, if you, if that's you, if you're listening to this and that's you get out of that rut, stop it right now, surround yourself with the right team so you can go to the next step and just take baby steps. If you find you take a micro step, you'll find that the next micro step is, is easier. And the next micro step is easier. And all of a sudden you're realizing you're taking half steps and then full steps. And the next thing you know, you're looking at deals and you're evaluating them and you're putting a property under contract and you're doing your financing, and you're going into escrow and all that good stuff. So you just need to get out of your own way sometimes and, and, and just trust your team and trust the amount of knowledge you have and just do it. I love that. Now, if you're looking at starting out and you, you believe it's better to go deep with one strategy or really just put your hand out there and start finding investment opportunities that work for you. Well, that really depends on what you are trying to do as an investor and the type of real estate investor you are. You could be um, on one end of the spectrum, a passive real estate investor, meaning that you're just looking to buy and hold a portfolio of real estate to take the cash flow, um, reinvest that cash flow and grow your equity over time. The other end of that spectrum is what I refer to as the active real estate investor. That's where you're rolling up your sleeves and you're getting deeply involved into the deal, meaning that you're, you're out driving around or, or you're working with agents to find and underwrite deals. Those are distressed properties or distressed seller situations. You're maybe hiring a general contractor or you're doing the general contracting yourself. You're the one involved in fixing it up. You're the one financing the acquisition and the renovation uh, in whole or in part. Um, you know, that, that's just a different way to go about it. That's a different strategy. And then within that spectrum, you know, there's different ways to so-called invest. You can start off by wholesaling property. You can be doing, um, you know, fix and flips, or you could be doing fix and holds where you're finding these distressed properties, fixing them and then fixing them up and then holding them within your own portfolio. Um, you know, there's a lease option strategy where you're putting a property in a contract with little to no money 
essentially leasing it and then releasing it to a tenant and taking the spread in between. There's so many different ways to make money in real estate. There's so many different strategies. My personal favorite, of course, is you know the more passive approach, which means I'm acquiring properties, single family homes, duplexes, fourplexes, as quickly as I can. And that's always a function of how much money you can accumulate and save. Um, so that's, that's my favorite approach. And that's what we help clients and investors do is basically what we do. You know, we kind of uh, eat our own, our, our own dog food, as they say, right? So what we sell is also what we buy and invest in ourselves. Yeah, I love that. And if we, so we'll fast forward to today. If you were to say, walk on into an elevator and someone says, what do you do? What's your elevator pitch about what your core business is? You know what, believe it or not, that's actually a hard question for me to answer because in 15 years of running this business, uh, creating it 15 years ago, I've come up with probably a dozen or two different elevator pitches. Um, if, if, if I'm talking to a professional and I don't really want to engage them, I basically say we're a nationwide provider of turnkey cash flowing rental properties. That's kind of the dry answer, right? <clears throat> but the flip side of that is, is we help people create uh, wealth and, and passive income through residential real estate or real residential in income property. I mean, that would be kind of the other way to say the same thing. What would you think would be in terms of investing passively a good way for investors who are looking to invest passively to really analyze not only the opportunity, but the operator? <clears throat> well, you, you want to, I mean, reputation's a big thing. So, and today, in today's day and age, it's actually pretty easy to, to do some research on any company or any person online and look up their reputation. And, you know, it's probably not uncommon to see a couple of black marks, no matter who you look up. You know, you look at a big company like Walmart or McDonald's or anybody, they've got literally thousands of negative complaints. But, you know, that's the scale of, you know, where they're at. What you want to do is you want to make sure that, you know, whether it's the property management company you're working with or a real estate broker or agent you're working with or an inspector or, you know, whomever it may be, these are typically people I refer to as team members, people that you ultimately will work with over and over and over again and you put them on your team and they're trusted advisors. You want to make sure that they have a good reputation and they're not just getting started in the business, that they've got years of experience. So not, not only do they have a good reputation, but they've proven themselves over time. Um, that's kind of a, a starting point. Um, but just also learning to ask the right questions, depending on who you're talking to, whether it's, again, a property management company or a home inspector or whoever it may be. Just, you know, understanding that they are a service provider and they're, they're there to be hired by you to provide you a particular service and, and a deliverable. And so you want to just, you know, understand that you're in the position of control because you're the one that's hiring them. You're the one paying them. And so do not hesitate to ask questions and, and a lot of them if you have to, just to get a good feeling of comfort, both in your head and in your gut. Um, those are those are really the two starting points with uh, anybody you work with. So if you haven't done this before, do you, do you have a recommendation or, or how do you learn what the rest, right question should be when you're speaking to maybe a property manager or an operator? Well, when it comes to property management, believe it or not, you could literally go to a search engine online and do a search uh, for, you know, questions to ask a property manager or something like that. And you'll get, you'll get 
a ton of results and a lot of checklists and blog articles written on it, downloadable PDFs, all kinds of stuff. Some of them are kind of ridiculous. You know, it takes it to the nth degree where there may be 50 questions, you know, that would end up taking an hour or two, you know, to go through a whole interview process. You don't have to literally ask every single question. You could, you could pick and choose the questions that make the most sense. Um, but you, you can find the information to look for easily online. You know, I'm not giving you specifics here because we're talking about property managers. We're talking about, you know, uh, real estate agents, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the information's out there. That's, that's the short answer. The questions are, are available. And if you don't know what to ask, talk to someone you know who can help you with this, particularly if they're a successful real estate investor or a trusted advisor, like someone who's in the real estate space, like another real estate agent or another property manager that's maybe not in the market you're looking to go to, but they're somebody you have access to in another market that can say, hey, this is what you should be asking. This is what you should be hearing them say. This is what you should avoid. Um, so someone who's already in that profession or in that space is a good person to ask, you know, what should I ask? Yeah, and I love those key points, right? I, I've seen people to be disappointed in property management, but they, when they hire them on, they don't really set expectations. So the property manager is doing what they intend is the right process for the property, but the investor has a different mindset because they forget that actually the property management company is working for them. And so when I ask the question, well, what were the terms or the expectations you set out? And you say, well, there, there wasn't. And that can lead you down the pipeline of, of never being happy. It's, it's almost like having a, you know, a, a wife and a husband with uh, not really ever communicating. It just leads to a path of, uh, of destruction on all sides. So now if you take that and you guys are investing in a number of markets, how do you source that one market is an opportunity you want to go into compared to other markets where you may stay away from? Well, we live in a country that has uh, four, 404 metropolitan statistical areas. If you, if you include micro markets, there's actually more. You're in the 600 range. But we track 404 markets in the U.S. So we're talking about a country that is very diverse geographically. Um, there's a lot of open space compared to how much you know space is actually populated. But you, you have to understand that every single real estate market is local. It has its own local politics, its own local economy, its own local business environment, its own local supply and demand, uh, median price, median rent, all that kind of stuff. So you have to evaluate every city on its own merits. The things we look at, which are critically important, are the, the jobs, the job environment in that market and whether there's job growth or not. You don't want to go into a market that has declining, uh, declining jobs as a trend, like year over year, um, and that's been going on for a number of years and, and it's projected to continue in that direction because if there are no jobs, people leave for other markets to go where the jobs are actually located. This is why so many people have been moving to the Texas markets like Dallas and Houston and maybe moving out of some of the, you know, the Rust Belt markets up in the Northeast, you know, in, in Ohio and places like that. Um, so jobs is critically important. It, it's kind of the main engine or the center um, of the economic uh, drivers. <clears throat> the other thing that kind of ties in with that is uh, migration. Is, is it, does the, that market have uh, positive or negative migration, net migration? So if you have a population that's growing, it's creating demand for both home sales and rentals because people need a place to live. 
So when you have that growth in population, it creates a larger pool of renters and a larger pool of buyers. And that not only supports the existing real estate market, but it drives it up in terms of, of demand and price. So, you know, that's a good thing. Now, if that is very strong and that tends to last for many, many years on end, um, three, five plus years, what happens is a market moves from being affordable to unaffordable. And, you know, we've seen this in so many markets around the country, you know, the coastal markets in particular. Um, more recently, we've seen this happen in places like Dallas. And I say Dallas in quotes because it's a very large market. So it's not necessarily everywhere in the Dallas metropolitan area. But in certain areas where we used to be able to get inventory for $100,000, $120,000 for a nice three-bedroom home, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. Now it's $150,000 plus. Now, granted, rents have come up along with that, but rents don't typically scale and go up as fast as, as property values in most cases. So what ends up happening is housing becomes a little less affordable for the locals, um, but from an investment perspective, it starts to make a little less sense as time goes on too, because those rates of return start to drop as property values um, appreciate uh, beyond their historical norms. So looking at where we are or where we feel we are in the cycle and talking that each MSA really is its own local community there, how are you preparing yourself for what could be anticipated a, a possible downturn in the next one, two, three, five years, wherever we stand in the market. What are you, factors or indicators are you looking at? When you say a downturn, you're, you're talking about the economy as a whole, like the general economy? Just that typically, you know, and it's never a, a said fact, right? But, but every seven or so years, we see some kind of downtick in the real estate industry. Maybe, maybe at this point that and we're due that for the certain areas of real estate, we're, we're, we're top heavy, right? Prices have gone up so much as you've talked about. Uh, rents are trilling, still growing, but trilling behind. Uh, and the market's hot, right? So now we're feeling that we're going to have possibly some transition period in the near future. Is there any, any indicators that you're looking at just to hedge yourself against a possible downturn in the real estate market? Well, okay. So yes, uh, I'll tell you what the hedge is here in a sec. Um, so real estate markets, depending on the market, they tend to move in seven to 10 year cycles. There are different types of markets. Some are, are cyclical in nature, some are, are more flat or linear in nature. And so they have much smaller, smooth cycles. The coastal markets and California is a poster child of this, where we see rapid high appreciation and then large corrections to the downside. Uh, so every market is different. Again, you know, every market is local and I've talked about this before. Um, you know, they both have advantages, these different types of markets. We tend to favor, you know, my, my team of investment counselors and myself, both, per, both personally and professionally. We tend to market, uh, tend to prefer markets that are more linear in nature. We'll still get that equity growth and appreciation over time. So we don't need to chase after appreciation in, in these cyclical markets. But the way to hedge against volatility is, is this. You need to make sure that you're in the markets that meet that criteria I talked about a few minutes ago in terms of, you know, it's economic growth, economic stability, um, both now and, and it's trend going forward. Like are companies moving in there? Are they creating jobs? Is there a vibrant economy? Is there diverse industry, meaning you have jobs in different sectors from healthcare to manufacturing to hospitality and whatever it may be. If you're in a market like that, it, it provides a buffer or a hedge against um, 
market shifts and changes because you've got that diverse economy. So if there's a, a, um, a disruption in, let's say, oil and gas or manufacturing because of, you know, uh, tariffs or trade wars or whatever it may be, you're, you're somewhat insulated or shielded against those changes in the general or, or more global economy. Number two, and this is a big one, make sure that when you acquire your rental properties, you not only want to be in a good market, but you want to be in a good neighborhood, a neighborhood that has stability, uh, has high uh, renter demand, uh, even sales demand, uh, maybe good school districts. I mean, ideally good school districts, but that's not always critical because you can have above average schools and that's good enough because let's face it, most school districts are not like tens out of 10. You don't need that. But if you're in a good neighborhood that has strong demand, it's desirable, today has been in the past, it's, it, it, it will continue to have that desirability. You'll always have a good rental pool to draw from. And people tend to move up and down along a socioeconomic ladder. Like people who can't afford, you know, the McMansion today may have to downsize in a recession because, you know, they're making less or they, they uh, you know, they now, now, they're now half employed within their household instead of fully employed. So pay, people tend to move into those mid-market bread and butter neighborhoods and communities that we tend to focus on what we'll refer to as B B plus and a minus type neighborhoods. So, you know, we could have a whole episode on that topic alone, but the short answer is stick to areas that are not only desirable, but uh, when you buy right, you have that positive cash flow, And that's really the big one I was, I was really getting to when your property carries itself, meaning that, your income covers all your expenses, plus you've budgeted for vacancy um, because you'll, you'll eventually have vacancy as you turn over to new tenants and you budget for maintenance and repairs and you still have a positive cash flow left over. Now you've got what I refer to as the glue that holds your deal together. When you have positive cash flow, you have the glue that holds your deal together. So regardless of what the economy is doing, regardless of what is happening in your local market, you can weather through the ups and downs and, you know, the the economic storms if and when they come to survive. And so um, that's why real estate is such a powerful investment is because it's very forgiving. Uh, you have time on your side and as long as you buy right uh, and, and you're in the right area, guess what? That property is still gonna be there a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and, and it'll just be a solid investment. And so with your turnkey business right now, is there, is there a part of your business you're working on improving? Uh, maybe adding team members on, adding a new market, something that stands out you're working on actively improving right now? Well, we're always working on something. Um, you know, we've been growing year over year. I mean, it's, it's, we're very busy. We have a lot of investors, mostly from the U.S., but even internationally. Um, we just brought on another investment counselor, our sixth investment counselor. We actually have six and a half because we have someone who's kind of half time uh, on the outside. But we have six investment counselors and then a whole support team. So we're growing, you know, we're constantly looking at new markets and new providers and new opportunities and new inventory uh, to build on what we already have. Um, and we're always looking at, at ways to improve the service and the communication that we have. We have great communication. We have great service. We have great product, great teams all over the country. Um, so we have, a, you know, a fantastic network. We're in 22 markets right now. So that's a lot. When I started this business 15 years ago, uh, we were in three markets that expanded to six. And I was very happy at six because we had three markets that were more or less strong cash flow markets. And then we had another three that were 
what I will refer to as a hybrid market. They're kind of a cross between good cash flow and, and appreciation potential like growth. And I'm happy with those three and three. But the problem today across the country is we have a very tight market. We have very low inventory in a lot of markets. It's hard to get good inventory, especially investment grade inventory. And so we've had to go wider in the number of markets that we're in, like 22 markets right now, in order to have the depth of inventory across the board to have enough supply for the, you know, the investor clients that we work with. So that's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just what it is because that's what happens as you go through different phases of, of you know, the real estate market and the economy. So noting that all this growth moving from three markets to six markets to 22 markets, what's been a learning lesson throughout this process that may have not been ideal, but you'd absolutely do it again because of the value that the lesson brought you? Well, here's one big lesson. And, and this is something that, this is something that a lot of people have a hard time getting over and it's a mental hurdle. It's not hard to get over it if you educate yourself and you understand the rationale. And that is this, be market agnostic. We've always been market agnostic. We've never been married to a market. In fact, we're not only not married to markets, we're not married to any kind of service provider. The people that we work with, we vet and choose to work with them because they, they, they do good work, they've done good work, they continue to do good work, and they service our clients well. But the point is be market agnostic. And so what does that mean? It means you're not married to a specific market. You, you understand that we, again, are in a very large country with many metropolitan areas, and every market is local, and every market operates under its own you know, dynamics and merits and supply and demand and all that good stuff. So if you were investing in the stock market and you lived in California and the best deal, the, 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 the must buy is Coca-Cola, would you avoid buying or investing in that stock because you lived in California and you know, Coca-Cola's headquarters are in Atlanta, Georgia? No, of course not. You don't need to live in Atlanta, Georgia where Coca-Cola's headquarters are in order to invest in Coca-Cola. Same thing with real estate. Just because you live in Orange County, California, or Charlotte, North Carolina, or wherever you may be, you don't need to stay focused in your backyard, you know, within a one-hour drive or two-hour drive of where you live. This is what a lot of so-called gurus tell real estate investors. And that's a real big mistake for a lot of people because if you're in, let's say, San Francisco, I was just there last week, you know, a condo starts at like about one or $1.1 million it would rent for maybe $4,000 a month. Not only is it expensive and requires a very large down payment and there's a lot of downside risk, but you're not gonna get the returns that you need, expect, or, or want from a, an investment like that. It's, I, don't, I don't even call that an investment. I call that a, a, a big risk. So you need to be market agnostic and that's the big lesson. You know, Choose the markets that make sense for you and your investment goals. And, and you know, this is something we do, this is something we research, but you as an investor, you can easily do this on your own. Just make sure that you start, take a top-down approach. This is one of my rules of successful real estate investing. Start with the market, then you know, look at the neighborhoods, the areas and neighborhoods within that market. Then you start looking at specific properties. Don't do it the other way around. If you live in a market that's overly priced, expensive, the numbers don't make sense, there's no inventory, whatever the case is, those should be signs that, that you're not living in the place where you should be investing. It's okay to live there. You know, my saying is live where you want, live where you want, invest where it makes sense. So you should start 
assembling your team and doing research on other places where it will make sense and your investment capital will go much further. Yeah. And I love that. And I've had this talk, we invest out of state as well. And uh, people that are uncomfortable about it, you know, if, if they're inclined to invest in New Jersey, just because they think it's more comfortable, well, if the building's burning down here or building burning down in Georgia, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're still going to call the fire department. So not much is going to change on that point. <laughs> what you can do. So you living close to it. And I, I find it, it helps me keep my hands out of it. Right. And so not be so busy with it because I have to set up processes and teams for out of state investing compared to here where maybe I'm like, Oh, we can go over there and maybe do some of the work or we can get in, in the way of property management. And it, it's allowed us to really process and systemize our business. So yeah, absolutely agree. Now, if you're looking at Narada from the standpoint of, of growth platform over the next one, three or five years, what's the end game or what's the goal? Well, there's, there's no end game, but the goal is the mission. The mission is to help as many people as possible achieve financial freedom as we possibly can help. And so, you know, every year we're helping hundreds of investors, uh, you know, acquire four or 500 properties a year um, spread across all those investors. And so uh, the goal is really just to help people achieve that financial freedom. And the best vehicle to do that is income producing real estate. It's not only a hard asset, it's a solid investment. Everybody needs a place to live. It, is, it offers the most favorable tax benefits. Um, it's leverageable. Um, it, it's really just the ideal investment. And so our goal is to just help as many people as possible build their real estate portfolios, invest in real estate uh, to achieve that financial freedom. That's what it's all about. If, if someone's listening today and hasn't really gotten off the couch or gotten into the mix, what would be a core component or, or a place to start where they can start to build a successful real estate business? Well, it always starts with your head game. You know, you need to have the right, uh, first of all, the right mindset and the right attitude. And that's just a matter of working on yourself. Often that comes from, you know, what you can do for personal development. First of all, stop listening to negative people. Don't listen to people who say that doesn't work or, you know, that that didn't work for me or I've had problems or you're going to get, you know, phone calls at two in the morning, you know, with a broken toilet. Um, you, you, you need to just, first of all, believe that you can do it because you can. Uh, thousands of people have and still do to this day invest in real estate very successfully uh, done right, it, it, it is the most powerful wealth creation tool out there. So you need to, first of all, believe and edu and then second, educate yourself. Like I said before, there's a lot of places where you can educate yourself, you know, podcasts, free resources, online books, and then there's workshops and boot camps and stuff, even, you know, outside, um, you know, your home that you can attend. So there, there's a lot, you can, there's really no excuse. You can, you can, you can do this. And it's just a matter of deciding that you can and will, and then educating yourself and taking the steps necessary to accumulate the knowledge and the, the people, the team that will help take you to the next step and, the, and to the next step. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room and you don't need to be the smartest real estate investor. Um, you know, there are a lot of accidental millionaires in real estate, people who have just 
decided to buy some property and maybe accumulate a few, you know, a few properties. Sometimes they live in one and then move to another property, but they keep the first one. And guess what? You know, three, five, seven, ten years later, they look back and they they say, geez, I wish I would have done that like a lot more. Maybe I should have bought three or four more than what I had. And they, you know, they realize, yeah, you know, I'm worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and I've got cash flow coming in. So you, you can do it. Anybody can do this. They just have to decide to do it and put the wheels in motion. That's a great lead into to morning routine. Do you have a routine or a morning routine that helps set your mind right for what you're doing? Yeah, I like to start off by sleeping in. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I'm a night owl. But, um, um, you know, I, I, I typically go to bed, you know, hit the pillow thinking about, okay, you know, what, what did I accomplish today? And then what do I need to do tomorrow? What, what's my one thing, as they say, you know, tomorrow that I need to focus on. And, you know, when I'm clear at night, I, I'm clear in the morning. Um, so my morning routine is just to get myself up, get myself ready, you know, have breakfast. I check email. I don't meditate in the morning. I'm, I'm, I'm really a slow riser, but I, you know, I hit the ground running by, you know, mid morning and then I'm just, I motor through the day. Um, Honestly, I don't have a morning routine. If anything, I have a night routine. And my night routine is really just to wrap up the loose ends of my day and then read or, or watch some videos, some educational videos. I don't watch a lot of TV. In fact, I think TV is, is kind of a, it rots your brain, it rots your mind, like most TV. You know, I love movies. I, you know, I love the entertainment value. Uh, but I think time is often best spent feeding your brain, you know, you feed your body food and, you know, and, and drinks and wine, but uh, why not feed your brain? You know, you, you got to expand your mind and, and your knowledge and your horizon and, and your ability to, uh, to grow. You need to grow up, up here. And that's the only way to grow on the outside. You know, it all starts on the inside. Do you have a favorite mindset book? Um, well, Think and Grow Rich is, yeah, Think and Grow Rich is kind of that perennial book that, you know, should be read once a year. Uh, 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 Rich Dad, Poor Dad is definitely one on the financial side that helps set, you know, the right mindset. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People is also another very good book. Uh, it's kind of like an, the operations manual of, of human interaction. Um, those are really three very good books that people, I think, should um, read, must read books. Is there any words you live by? Um, yeah, there's probably a lot. Uh, words that I live by. Um, yeah, just put a lot of value in your family and friends because, uh, you know, as you get older, you realize people don't live forever. You know, people pass on. And sometimes unexpectedly, I just had a friend in the real estate space pass away just a couple of weeks ago, completely out of the blue, completely unexpected. And so, you just never know what's going to happen. You know, we've got friends and family that, you know, have cancer right now and, you know, we're dealing with all kinds of things. So um, just, you know, spend as much time as you can with your family and your friends. That, that, that's what I put a lot of value on. And, you know, being Italian growing up in my family, you know, family was everything, you know, it's, it's about the family. So that's the thing I value a lot. Um, the whole thing with investing in real estate is to create that time freedom. We don't invest for the sake of investing in real estate just to hold a portfolio of property. That's great. But um, 
you know, at the end of the day, we invest because we want to create financial freedom. And why do we want financial freedom? So we have time freedom. Why do we want the time freedom? So we can spend that time with friends and family and do the things we love to do, not the things we're forced to do. That's great. Thank you so much for this, Marco. This has been absolutely amazing. If people are listening to the show and want to find out more about you, find out more about your company, what's the best way to connect? Yeah, I think really just our two websites, um, PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com is named after my podcast, which is Passive Real Estate Investing. It's available everywhere from iTunes to iHeartRadio. Um, and then our core website where, you know, we have a lot of information on real estate and real estate investing, and we have all our properties around the country is NoradaRealEstate.com. So N-O-R-A-D-A, NoradaRealEstate.com. Those are really the best two places to go to find a ton of free resources and information. Amazing. Thank you so much, Marco. Thanks for coming on the show today. Jason, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone listening today. This is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. A huge thank you to Marco Santorelli, and we'll talk to you shortly. Bye now. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.